This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our February 24th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited to close out the week with you on today's radio show and podcast to help you make the most of your capital, your hard-earned capital that you've saved, you've invested, you've grown over the years, and you want it to continue to grow, and you want to preserve it. And We're here to help you formulate the strategies that will fit your ultimate goals and your objectives. Now, I want to educate you on how to think about the answers to the questions that we cover on today's show. And some of what we focus will be philosophical in nature. And a lot of what we emphasize will be the importance of discipline in your decision-making process. Just like anything in life, being disciplined, having the right frame of mind, the right intentions are crucial to making good decisions consistently. Okay, so the data that we share will hopefully help bring you closer to the smart decision for you. And as you know, the investing situation is changing. It's different. So you need to be working with an open mind and not being married to the recent past. But understanding history and understanding where we are in this new regime. So I have a lot of pertinent material to dig into with you today, but it all begins when you call at 888-99-CHARTS or anytime listener alliance. So I'm open to your questions right now. Now my focus point concerns this question. Is there a surefire route to investing success? I love this topic because we're all in the pursuit of excellence in some way, but you're never going to get there in any part of life. And investing is the same. You always want to get better, but to try to be perfect is just simply unrealistic. So I want to go over this because it's perspective that can go a long way to helping you make good, consistent decisions. Notice we say that. We don't say perfect decisions every single time. Because nothing is perfect. Everything has its risk and reward, its drawbacks. And you have to be willing to accept that, just like everything in life. So we're going to look at that. Also, how to prioritize your various retirement accounts. How to think about that. Okay, we're going to look at that. Also, inflation came in today as well as consumer spending numbers. So we're going to look at that data. And then lastly, if we have time, how fiscal policy is likely to help address inflation over time. So those are the things that are on the docket for me. And we also have some voice bank questions ready to play. One is on diversification. The other is on Boston Beer Company, SAM. 
and I have an iTunes review question as well. Now it's Friday, and I'll share highlights of the newest KPP Premium Newsletter as well. So I got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and of course, most importantly, your live calls, 888-99 chart. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was certainly a red day. Mainly the large cap growth side of the market was was down the most. You had Tesla about down about two and a half. Uh, you had advanced micro devices down about two percent. You had some big losers, uh, companies like Autodesk, which you know a big SaaS software company trading at high multiples that was down uh, pretty nicely. So it was a, it was a red day. The U.S. market uh, across the board was down a little over one percent. Small caps down about three quarters of one percent. So you had a little outperformance there. Uh, definitely a day with rates up. You saw the ten year. Really, after a pullback yesterday, nice move higher, seven basis points on the day. And this is all on higher expectation of Fed, more hawkish Fed. We've gone from, in just a short couple of weeks, from a market that was looking at the Fed pausing within the next meeting or two, and then cutting rates by year end. And now, not only is the the cutting of rates by year end off the table, but there's increasing likelihood of a 50 basis point hike at the next meeting, which frankly, I think both of those are off base. This is a perfect example to me that uh, the pendulum can swing pretty rapidly from one side to the other. It doesn't make sense for the economic data that's coming in for the Fed to be cutting rates in the near, near future, but also not accelerating their tightening cycle as well. They've already accelerated that pretty fast in the back half of this year. We all know it's a lag effect, so there's some uh, still to be felt in that department. So uh, I, I think you, you've gotten offsides in both directions. I think the, the reality is somewhere in the middle. Okay, And so that's kind of where we are uh, after the close of this week. So definitely a down week in the markets as a whole due to more hawkish Fed prognostications, shall we say. You had the dollar a bit stronger. The most interesting part, though, about this move is volatility is not breaking out. You look at the VIX, it was up a little bit today, 21 spot 67, but still below its high for the week and below the 100-day moving average. So really no breakout to the upside. Once again, higher volatility, higher VIX means higher, sorry, typically lower prices, typically risk off environments. And we had a little bit of, the, of that once again, but nothing that is trending higher. And that's what we had all last year. It was a trending, trending higher volatility and that produced trending lower equity prices. And so far we're not getting that. We're also not getting yield spreads uh, really widening out. If I'm looking at Things like short-term junk bonds to short-term treasuries. It's not really breaking down. That closed well off the, the lows for the um, for the week. So back into kind of neutral territory in my mind. Now we're going to go and pivot to our first listener question that came in at 888-99-CHART. Thanks for you guys' podcast. I've been listening the last few years. been learning a lot. There's one ticker I'd like you to look at and break down. I'm up about 40% right now. N-V-E-C, Nancy, Victor, Echo, Charlie. You know, is it a hold, buy it a dip? 
or, you know, sell based on the percentage. I'd like their financials. And I just wondering what your thoughts. So I'll listen on the podcast. Thanks. All right. This is a small cap name, $362 million market cap. Let's see. They manufacture Spintronic magnetic sensors, couplers, and memories used in, let's see, used to acquire and transmit data. This is one historically that if you look at its stock chart, it's been in a large trading range for many years. If I go back to a monthly chart here. Yeah, I mean, it's basically where it was at in 2015. So long term, it is trending higher. That's a positive. Return equity right now about 28%, which is higher than the long term average about 18%. So you know, but I, but it's trending higher, right? Long term, you're getting a trending upwards uh, trajectory for return on equity. That's a positive. Doesn't look like they have any debt in their balance sheet. That's a positive. It's not necessarily cheap. That's for sure. Trading at seventy five dollars and change today, and last year they made three dollars per share. I don't see any projections because it's so small. A lot of these really small cap names, they don't have a lot of uh, analysts following them, so they don't have really projections there. Uh, but 5% dividend yield, now their pay ratio is 105%. So I don't expect that dividend yield to be sustained, although they don't have a lot of debt, so I guess they could take on debt to, to continue to pay that dividend. Uh, it has remained about a dollar per share for a while, so not growing, not shrinking, so that's a positive. You know, I'm, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with the, the, the trend in the stock. I'm okay with the longer-term profitability, the low debt ratio. I just really have to be convinced that this recent bump up in earnings is sustainable. Um, you know, cause, cause if you go back to 2019, they made $3 per share. They made $3 per share last year. They made 291 in 2018. So over the last five years, there really hasn't been much growth and that's okay. Um, but you're trading at a higher than average multiple. And I would want that to be growing. I don't want that earnings to be growing. And if I can project that that is, is true, which, which is difficult when you don't have a lot of analysts following it, then I would be excited about it. But uh, I would hold it for now and have a tight stop right around the 50-day moving average. Now, the stock market is constantly changing, and you must have at least one or two finance investment questions that you'd like answered. So give us a call on Stock. You set the agenda. The phone lines are ready for you right now at 888-99-CHART. Thank you, and I hope to be the 50 millionth download of your incredible show. It is official. As of February 21st, an exciting new InvestTalk milestone was achieved. The InvestTalk podcast exceeded 50 million downloads. How do you guys determine a value stock? 50 million. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. Hey guys, this is Josh from South Carolina. I'm a long-time listener. 24-7, rain or shine, on tough market days or during brighter moments. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to answer your questions. Our now preferred share is kind of a hybrid asset. It's part of the capital structure. You want to buy this what's on sale, and when it gets on sale, it's about $16 a share. $50 million. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 
888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point concerns this question. Is there a surefire route to investing success? And we're all trying to perfect various parts of our life from our personal relationships to our career to our hobbies. But we all know that you can strive for perfection, but we all will admit that nobody's perfect at anything. At anything. We all make mistakes across different parts of our life. But what's interesting is that investors oftentimes, they are chasing perfection. And a lot of that comes from chasing performance. And I love the old saying that you can chase performance, but you'll never catch it. And that's kind of the same for perfection. We try to find the best performing stocks or funds, try to time the trades perfectly. And we try to get that optimum asset mix based on our preferences. Like, you know, what, what type of companies do I want to be invested in? But when you're chasing this, perf- this perfection, that often leads to a lot of transactions, high costs, more complexity, and ultimately, disappointment. Because most of the time, you're chasing that perfection out of emotions and not data. As the old saying goes, many people make perfect the enemy of the good. And that's certainly true in investing. Now, we all hope to get huge gains and coast to a nice, comfortable retirement. But the reality is that saving, especially when you're younger, consistently, is the most important aspect to to long-term financial wellness. Way more than investment performance. So a healthy savings rate can cover up for a lot of mistakes, but it doesn't earn you bragging rights. It's not exciting. Is it saying, oh, I earned... 300% on a particular investment. But that's the reality of it. Now, successful investing, just like anything in life, is uh, about a series of good choices. You never got to your uh, success in your career because you did one thing right. You did things consistently right throughout your uh, career to, to get where you're at. And in the investment world, some of the most important decisions that you will make will come when you're under duress. There's uncertainty within the economy. You don't know exactly what to do. And that causes people to make impulsive decisions. They panic sell. There's FOMO, fear of missing out, obviously. And so this is where diversification comes in. It can kind of mitigate risk of making rash decisions. Because you're feel, when, you're, when you're too concentrated, you're feeling the, the, the volatility a lot more. And that brings up those emotions. And research even shows that the gap between what a fund earns versus what the average return is for an investor, it's narrowest in the most widely diversified funds because of that lower volatility. So understand this, understand who you are, and understand that you should make perfect the enemy of the good. Now we're moving into a break. On the other side, I have a live call ready for, for you from Vestock at 888-99-CHART. stock market is constantly changing 
And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. I want to follow up in our main focus points. Uh, I talked a bit about not making the perfect enemy the good. Um, and how do you do that in practice? Now, the first thing is to rebalance. Now, we'd all want to shift our exposure to different asset classes and stocks, companies, and, and do it in, in the perfect manner uh, to avoid drawdowns, to take advantage of surges uh, in, a, in certain stocks or, or, or asset classes. But the reality is that's just very difficult. Okay. And the best thing you can do is making risk management a routine. So when things feel the best on a particular asset class or stock, there's nothing wrong with routinely trimming it, not getting rid of it. You know, a lot of people are very black and white in their, in their decision-making. And in reality, you're edging different ways at different times. Okay. So we all want to capture those 10 baggers and those market beating funds that are in the right place at the right time. But it's, those are, are very difficult. The foresight to invest in those beforehand when it counts is, is very hard. Few of us have that, that foresight, even the professionals. And one of the main reasons is that there's a lot fewer of those opportunities than one thinks about or the one thinks there is. You know, they see the headlines. You see the articles written about them. But remember, that's one or two or three amongst thousands and thousands of choices. And then another way to avoid this perfection uh, mantra is focusing too much on income. And ideally, in retirement, we'd all want income that will meet our needs and we reinvest the rest. But investing just for yield can often be a trap. We've talked about that many times. So you really need to focus a lot on total return. You know, because if you're focusing too much on income, you go out too far on the risk spectrum oftentimes. Subjecting yourself to default risk, prepayment risk, interest rate movement, also known as duration risk. And we also, many people uh, subject themselves to too much leverage, whether that's within a fund or within a different uh, particular company. And that risks big losses as well. And so investing for total return in contrast to income means that you're going to be investing in healthier balance sheets and a healthier balance between risk and, re and return. So you want to pair income producing, not saying you don't focus on income or don't think about income, but you pair income producing assets with other types of assets that aren't subject to credit risk and interest rate risk nearly as much and have much higher potential upside of capital appreciation. That's why that 60-40 portfolio over time tends to work pretty well. 
So hope that helped give you some perspective on how to think about it and not beat yourself up over not having the perfect plan, but having uh, focusing on being uh, a good investor consistently. Now let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from Georgia on 888 chart Justin and Steve. Hey, this is James from Georgia calling about SAM, ticker symbol SAM. That's the Boston Beer Company. I think they had a bad profit report, and the stock has tumbled about 11.91%. Curious, what are your thoughts? Should I get some more? Should I sell it? Please advise. Love the show. Thank you. All right. Looking at Sam, Boston Beer Company. And this is a company that really capitalized on the seltzer craze. Uh, If you know truly, truly hard seltzer, uh, they were one of the first movers along with uh, White Claw. Those are kind of the two uh, big first movers. But now it's become a bit of a saturated market. Uh, this is obviously owned Sam Adams brand, Angry Orchard, Twisted Tea. So a lot of uh, those kind of alternative beer, uh, micro uh, breweries, as well as kind of alternative beer products. And they're pretty big in that space. And their business boomed in 2020 when... Everyone was staying at home and drinking a lot. And so uh, their earnings went up to $14.68 in 2020 from $8.69 in 2019. The problem, though, is that then there was oversupply. All of these grocery stores and, and uh, their, their distributors were oversupplied with Truly. And they actually lost $7.31 in 2021. Earning $7 last year, about $8 expected this year, but earnings expectations continue to come down. And the chart continues to kind of meander here down right around 300 bucks per share, right? Trading right now at $332. So I still think it's too expensive. Even if you expect it to make $10.89 next year, they're still talking 30 times multiple. Uh, I'm passing on this. It's, it's an interesting name. I think they have some good brands, but... I think their trend earnings is, is a lot lower, lower than, than here. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass. This isn't cheap until it gets below 200s, not the low 300s. Thanks for the call. Now, as we go to break, let me encourage you to make plans to join us for a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. Value investing, positioning your portfolio for profitability, relative price, and dividend payments. It's coming up on March 22nd. You can register now over on investtalk.com. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve or Justin. Uh, this is Craig in the mountains outside Seattle. Got a diversification question, but it's within an asset class. So I use the strategy pretty much across my brokerage account. So just as an example, if I wanted 20% of my portfolio or of my brokerage account to be small cap value, and I've got IJS and AVUV, similar expense ratio, good performing funds. Respectively, there's a 
26% overlap in holdings from the IJS side and a 40% from the ABUV, which feels like it gives me a lot more diversification in that small cap value realm. But the question is, am I overcomplicating it? Is the diversification worth it? Or would you just pick your favorite one and have that represent the whole asset class? I'm in the same situation with large cap value and my internationals and, uh, you know, a couple other things. And that's just a strategy I've employed uh, where there's a relatively low overlap, but more diversification. Just curious your thoughts. I tend to lean value, very aggressive portfolios worth about a million at this point. And so it's a relatively small part of it, but I'm far heavier in large and small cap value, both U.S. and international uh, than anything else. Hearing your thoughts on that strategy and uh, if I'm just overcomplicating it or if it makes sense. Thanks so much. Love the show. Look forward to hearing from you on the, on the uh, podcast. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Now looking at two small cap value ETFs, and I have no problem with that. Uh, both of these ETFs, AVUV and the IJS, they are small cap value. They have relatively low expense ratio, 18 basis points on the iShares one. The Avantis small cap value, AVUV, is a 25 basis point, so slightly higher. But both of them are good funds, both four out of five stars at Morningstar, both bronze rated. So they're good funds, and because they're small cap value, right, they're going to have some overlap there. So it's, And it's not clear which one is truly the better one to hold long term, so you're kind of hedging your bets here. You're, you're saying, okay, I'm not going to try to pick kind of the, like the main focus point, which is I'm not going to focus on picking the perfect one. But I want to have uh, this percentage allocation to small cap value. And so I'm going to spread it among you know, two or maybe three different choices that I think are all very good uh, and not put all my bags, eggs in that one basket. Uh, this fund is probably a little bit better. So I'm just going to put all in that particular fund. I don't mind uh, having that. And you're going to have, like you said, some, some overlap there. And there's nothing wrong with that. So... Um, yeah, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of options out there from individual stocks to, uh, to mutual funds and ETFs. There's just a, a lot of, a lot of options. And despite what many will say, you know, there's a lot of good active options, right? That are, that allocate capital well, long-term, especially these smaller cap funds. And so, when you have multiple good options, spreading it amongst multiple good options means you'll probably come out not perfect, but in good shape. And as our main focus point today said, that's the main goal. Now, the KPP Premium Newsletter was finished today, and it will be distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning. And I'll give you a quick preview. Now, in the market conditions section, we explained that early today, U.S. equity markets were on track for a third straight week of pullbacks, followed by a January run-up. Much of this most recent downward movement can be attributed to continuing strong economic numbers, fueling the uncertainty around how long the interest rate increase policy will last and how aggressive the next Fed hike will be. Fed futures are now indicating there's a 33% chance of a 50 basis point hike in the next meeting on March 22nd. That's up from 18% last week. Now, overall, the expectations that there will be a rate cut in 2023 has evaporated. Much of the increase in the expected rate hike next month is resulting from economic data released this week. Core PCE rose 0.6% in January, exceeding consensus expectations of 
personal personal spending came in hotter than expected and showed the strongest personal spending rate since March of 2021. New home sales showed 7.2% month-over-month increase, far better than expected. And all of this, a rebuttal to the idea that there was that we were entering a period of disinflation. Labor market was still showing signs of strength this week as the weekly jobless claims came in below 200,000 for the sixth straight, sixth week in a row. Overall, the economy is still looking fairly strong. The continued strength of the job market coupled with a shifting away from earlier feelings of inevitable recession, bolstering the idea that a soft landing is possible. And we go even deeper in the newsletter. Now, in the stock ideas section, we highlight a company that produces semiconductors for wireless handsets and other devices that are used to enable wireless connectivity. Its main products include power amplifiers, filters, switches, and integrated front end modules that support wireless transmission. Its customers are mostly large smartphone manufacturers, but the firm also has a growing presence in the non-handset applications such as wireless routers, medical devices, and automobiles. The fundamentals, fundamentals of the company are fairly strong with low debt and wide profit margins at around 22% net margins with over a $1 billion in free cash flow. And KHP Financial currently holds, holds a position in some of its managed accounts. And we look at an ETF with a modified market cap weighted portfolio of disciplined dividend stocks with sound fundamentals. It applies constraints and buffers that diversify risk and curb turnover. This fund's focus on fundamentals promotes durable yield as stocks on stocks as stocks on firm financial footing are well positioned to continue dividend policies. So we name names in the newsletter. Now you can subscribe to the newsletter at investtalk.com. Let's touch a bit on how to prioritize your retirement accounts. I get this question all the time. A lot of people focus on asset allocation, but what about household capital? How do you allocate household capital? Now we always say, number one, getting the full employer match putting at least enough to earn those matching contributions in your 401k, 403b, TSP, et cetera. And then your emergency fund. So focusing on those two, maximizing those two, making sure emergency fund is at least three months, maybe six months if your income may be a bit volatile, your job situation may be not as strong as you would like. That depends You know where, where you want that emergency fund to be. But getting that up to the amount that you feel comfortable with as well as that uh, that matching contribution, maxing that out, those are a good start. Then an underrated one is a health savings account. Now you have to have a high qualif- or a high deductible healthcare plan. So you need to talk to your HR department to make sure that your current plan, uh, if it's going through your work, so I think that's a terrible way for our, our health insurance to be set up, but that's how most people get their health insurance. Uh, but if you can contribute to an HSA, it's always a good idea. And now why is that? Putting in pre-tax contributions, so you're not getting taxed on the funds going in. So you write that contribution off on your taxes, just like you do an IRA. You're earning money, you're tax-free, compounding that money tax-free. So no, no taxes due on an annual basis. And then assuming you're pulling out for qualified healthcare expenses, you avoid taxes on the way out as well. So tax benefits across the board. And once you hit age 65, you can actually pull out those funds as you would with a traditional tax deferred IRA. So there's that. Uh, so it acts kind of like a, an IRA. Now, after that, uh, a Roth IRA, if you qualify for it, and a lot of people like too much money for it, backdoor Roths, another good idea. Talk to your CPA about that. 
and underrated, which is simply a taxable brokerage account. I know that sounds weird, but investing, you can invest as much as you want. There's no contribution limits. And remember, as long as you hold those, uh, the, the positions longer than a year, now you're, at caps, cap, you're taxed at your long-term capital gains rate, which is much lower for most people than their income tax rate that you're getting taxed at when you're withdrawing from an IRA or a 401k. Okay. So don't be afraid. I, a lot of people I get called, I'm maxing out, I'm doing all these things. What else can I put money in to avoid taxes? Well, what you can do is you can put money into a taxable account and just hold, don't trade it a lot. Find good, solid investments that are paying you maybe consistent yield and growing over time and hold them for over a year. And that's a tax benefit in and of itself. So that's a way to think about prioritizing those various, that various household capital. Now, Fridays are super busy, but Steve and I generally make time to fit in a quick rundown of key benchmark numbers. So let's hit that list now. The two-year treasury was at 4.81% the close of the week. Now, two weeks back, it was only at 4. Point, basically 4.5. Three weeks ago, 4.3. Four weeks back, 4.2. And so you had a big move in rates in just the past, basically, month. And you go back all the way 61 weeks ago, it was at 0.64%. So uh, obviously, that is something the market, the economy is still getting used to. Now, the 10-year treasury yield, right around three, right around 4%, 3.95% the close of the week. Two weeks ago, that was at 3.72. Three weeks, 3.52. And five weeks ago, it was at 3.48. So up over 50 basis points in the span of five weeks. And that's that's pushing through to the mortgage market. So a lot of the reason the housing market was decent in the month of January was rates came down and they became reasonable. You know, you could probably stretch to get a five in front of a uh, five on the, uh, uh, on your mortgage rate. Maybe not 5%, but five high fives, mid fives. That was definitely doable. Now six, six and a half is probably a good rate. So that that's going to change things. All right. Now gold was priced that, 1812 announced the end of this week down from 1862 two weeks ago and 1929 four weeks back. And a lot of this, once again, higher interest rates, higher dollar. That's going to be a negative for gold prices. And you've seen that over the past couple of weeks. Silver also down $20.81 an ounce. Three weeks back, it was at $23.51. So a bit of volatility there as well. No oil at 76 spot 57. And that's down from about four weeks ago when it was at 81.31. So you had a modest pullback in oil prices, but frankly, not that dramatic. Been kind of in this trading range for a while between the low 70s and the low 80s. Now, the national average for, for gasoline, regular unleaded, $3.38. That is down from $3.50 about a month ago, and but still up from where we were. Actually, yeah, it continues to come down uh, about... Let's see, 40 weeks ago, it was at $4.59. So we're down over a buck in less than a year. California, here in California, averages $4.75. That's up from $4.59 just a week ago, two weeks ago, and $4.43 five weeks ago. In Texas, the gas at the pump 
average only $2.95. You see that big gap, uh, about $1.80 between California and Texas. And that's, that's sizable. A lot of that is taxes, but a lot of that is uh, just closeness to the supply. Now, hang on. We continue in 30 seconds at 888 chart Mark your calendar for Wednesday, March 22nd from 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. You are invited to a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. Value investing, positioning your portfolio for profitability, relative price, and dividend payments. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about the new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. It's free, and you can register now at investtalk.com. Yes, good morning, Justin and Steve. This is Sharon calling from Denver, Colorado. Love the show as always. Love the fact you have so many downloads and listeners. So my question is about a company called Vermilion Energy. The ticker is V like Victor, E like Echo, uh, T like Tango. And I just wanted to get your opinion on basically, is this something that's worth getting into? And if so, what would be a good price to jump in on it? Thank you very much. Love the show. And we'll definitely be listening on podcast. Have a great one. All right. This is Vermilion Energy. And this is an interesting one because it's pretty small in the energy space. It's an international oil and gas company, but only $2.25 billion market cap. And so it's diversified between North America, Europe, and Australia, and it mainly produces petroleum and natural gas. Uh, Let's see. It derives most of its revenue from Canada, though. That's interesting. So it's a Canadian oil name, mainly, out of Alberta, Canada. Earnings are supposed to be down 44% this year, 14% next year, 1.5% dividend yield. It's trading, if you go based on forward-looking earnings, it's trading right around five times. A little bit of debt. About a billion dollars in long-term debt on a $2.25 billion market cap. You know, that's a decent amount. I know a billion doesn't sound like a lot compared to many of these other EMP names, but it's a, it's a good amount considering the size. It is trading pretty cheap about 1.8 times enterprise value EBITDA. That EBITDA is coming down. You can see that. Um, I just don't love the debt here. That's my biggest worry. I, lo- I like the business. I like the diversity. I like their long-term profitability metrics. The chart is, let me click the chart here. The chart's at some pretty good support down here, right around $13. So, I, lo- I like it. I don't love it, right? I-, I like more of the mid to smaller cap large names, large cap names uh, in this space just because they tend to have a lot more diversity, better balance sheet. And that's my biggest issue with this one is the balance sheet, but I do like the fundamentals overall. So uh, I would say it's good, but it's probably not the best that you're going to find in this space. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here help you achieve your own version of financial freedom and our work continues after this final break so get your questions in now at 888 chart each day invest talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email would you like your question to be put near the top of the list 
Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hello, I'm a 58-year-old, and I have um, a question. I probably won't be retiring until the age of 65, maybe 67. And in my employer, I have an option for 401k and 401k Roth. At what point do I kind of like migrate all my contributions over to the 401k Roth versus you know, getting the pre-tax dollars? It would seem to make sense that Roth might be a better choice. Thank you. Bye. Well, the way to always think about Roth versus IRA or traditional IRA, or in this case, Roth 401k versus traditional 401k is always your tax rate today versus what you expected to be in the future. So, this is why typically younger people uh, should invest in a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k because they are not getting a great tax write-off. They're not in high tax brackets. So whatever they put in isn't a great benefit to them today anyway. Now, others who might be in a relatively high tax bracket, they might want that tax write-off and they will take the money out in the future when they're no longer working, when they're retired and now they're in a lower tax bracket and locking in that lower tax rate uh, rate when they do take the money out of the traditional IRA. So it's all about the tax rate that you're at today versus what is expected in the future. And that's how you think about it. It's it's pretty simple, but it's also not an easy answer for everybody, you know, especially those that are in a middling tax bracket. I always say if you're on the fence and you're able to put money into a Roth IRA because remember, there are Roth contribution limits some point, so you can't have income, you can't put money into a Roth IRA. And so if you're eligible and it's kind of on the fence, you're in a middling tax bracket, maybe a 22, 24% tax bracket, I go Roth IRA or Roth 401k. Just because you're able to get total amount more, uh, you know, tax deferred, you never have to pay taxes on it again. Becomes a nice savings account for you uh, if you ever want to take money out, especially a Roth uh, IRA. Remember, you can always take out the contributions to a Roth IRA without any penalty, not the growth, but the contributions. So that's always nice. So that's the way to think about Roth versus traditional IRA or 401k. Now, lastly, let's touch on the economic data that came out today. And there was, there was a good amount. Obviously, the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, the PCE index, that was up to 5.4% January from a year earlier. The core was at 4.7%. That's also up slightly uh, on the year-over-year figure. And U.S. consumer spending jumped to a seasonally adjusted 1.8% in January, January from the previous month, the largest increase in nearly two years. Now, a big part of that has to do with the higher minimum wage that started in January for many parts of the country. So wages grew 0.9% in January, more than twice as fast as in the prior month. And then you also have Social Security checks at the start of the year were up. Social Security income, total Social Security income rose 9% in January compared with December. And the personal savings rate increased to 4.7%, the highest in a year. So That's why I think there's a bit of uh, an anomaly in January. There's a lot of those people that 
are getting those income boosts are not those higher earners. Those are the lower earners, right? You are making minimum wage, you're earning a little bit more, you are in retirement, you're on a fixed income, you get a nice boost from uh, COLA adjustments, and you go spend it a little bit more. If you are in the lower income bracket, you have a high, higher, what is called marginal propensity to spend. You know, if you're very wealthy and you get an extra $10,000 in your account, are you going to go and change your lifestyle habits very much? Probably not. But if you don't have a lot of money and you get $10,000 into your bank account, you're probably going to go spend a bunch of it because you've been constrained for some time. You haven't been able to go, uh, to go buy much. And so it moves the needle a lot more. Uh, now, this all is feeding into expectations of what the Fed's going to do. There's now a higher odds that they'll go to 50 basis points. But even Loretta Mester, who's was, had talked about a 50 basis point hike in, in the future, said today that she doesn't think that the situation warrants that quite yet. And she said she didn't think the debate over how much to raise rates was as important as how high to go for the rest of the year and leave them there the rest of the year. Uh, and then if you look at the Commerce Department's uh, estimate of the economy in the fourth quarter, that actually was lower than previously reported. So uh, pretty interesting stats still, in my mind, quarter basis point, quarter percent in March. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. It is official. We have now surpassed 50 million podcast downloads since it all began. And we thank you for consistently downloading and telling your friends about it. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Have a great weekend. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights.